Community. Information overload. I might have to just run out of the room and leave a big Kool-Aid manhole on the wall. Cinematic. Cinematic community. Just tell people not to swear the mic around. <laughs> that's, a good, that's, that's a good point. Right? You know, I have no problem with you telling people that. That seems like an important safety tip. Just been revoked. Being funny on cue is, uh, is a very complicated thing. I mean, we've had comedians on. They've talked about this. Yes. Yeah. You know, there's nothing worse than, um, you know, hanging out with your friends and then they're like, be funny. Yeah, I know. Dance, monkey. And that's what you do, essentially. You come to me and you're like, here's a microphone. Be funny, fat man. Be funny. <laughs> that has never come across my brain. Dance. <laughs> Do the truffle shuffle. What about me having to be the straight guy all the time? I got to perform and say these words in a solid fashion. You're exactly like this in real life. This is not a stretch for you. <laughs> so are you. Your your sarcasm is your comedy is your is your escape. Yeah, but never on command. When I'm hanging out with my wife, she doesn't hand me a mic and she's like, "Here, be humorous for 20 minutes." The art and craft of movie making, the stories that define it. Welcome to Cinematic Community, folks. I'm Lewis Normanin, and with me is podcast producer and co-host Brian Hart. Help, I'm trapped in this well. <laughs> Today on Cinematic Community, we sit down with Dan McMillan, uh, an editor who's been at this a very long time and uh, has been involved with a whole bunch of reality shows, including Stream Home Makeover and Wipeout. Uh, and has used his passion for editing since he was a child to turn it into a great career for him. We talk about how um, reality TV gets a bad rap. Maybe justified sometimes, but there's also good stuff out there. I watch it, you watch it, we all do. A little bit. It's in there. You know, I, I find myself at, uh, you know, sitting on my girlfriend's bed at 10 p.m. and we're, uh, we're watching TV and just so happens the most mind numbing stuff sometimes is reality television. I like the amazing race, that sort of thing, That's running around. One, yeah. My wife would, would be very upset if they got rid of all the cooking and fashion shows. Yeah, um, I think I think shows like uh, like Extreme Home Makeover uh, definitely did their did their run, and they weren't uh, unnecessarily dramatic, trying to draw out emotions from from broken people. And and uh, I think that you know there's something to be said for that in terms of what we do and how many jobs it creates. I'm hip to that. And who doesn't need a ping pong room? So with that, enjoy part one of Dan McMillan, and we will come back next week with part two, and uh, we'll see you then. Thanks, everybody. You can touch things until you're even a grad student. So, uh, and I knew that from a lot of friends that had gone to film school. And so I was just like, I want to go here. And so I, f I went to KU and um, I did my same thing that I always do, talk my way into being basically, by the time I graduated, I was running the all the avids and the technical part because no one else wanted to do it. So I just kind of said, give me the key and I can do whatever I want when I want. And then I'll make sure that it, they all work for all the kids. And so I did that. And then because I was there all the time, there was a phone call that came in from an editor uh, who was making his own film from who, had, who was originally from Kansas but had moved to New York and then had ended up in Los Angeles working for as uh, an editor for Robert Altman. 
And so he said, I'm doing my film and I'm finishing up pickups for it and I need a crew and I need this and I need that. And I said, okay. So I took my editing hat off and I put my line producer hat on and basically talked my way into saying, yeah, we can do whatever you want. So I basically, um, we shot his stuff and he said, I can't pay you, but, uh, if I'm starting a show, this is in 99 and I'm starting a show, uh, a reality, one of the first reality shows, it was in like February of 2000. And he said, if you come out, I'll give you a, I'll give you a, a gig on it, and then you can also help me uh, with the finishing the film. So you get an education of how, because basically he had to not only finish editing, but we had to take it through the uh, sound editing, mixing, all that process, and we had to do that. He had to do it on his own. He basically had a run of a facility and he, after hours and on weekends, but he needed somebody to help him with it. So, sure. So I said, uh, yeah, I'll be there. So that brought me out here, and I actually lived uh, over. Uh, in Silver Lake, um, for I lived on a couch for about two months, so I found a place, and and then for about six months, I basically got my, my what I call my graduate in film school. Sure, because uh, <coughs> excuse me, because um, it was a uh, it was at a facility that was a full facility that we went through each process, and it was just he and he and I like doing looping, doing ADR, doing foley. I was doing drinking out of beer bottles and recording them one at a time and just going through the whole everything. And it took it took a long time because uh, it was just us. And so that taught me about Pro Tools and, and it really taught me what it really taught me was the process of going from what your sound because I when I was always editing I was wondering how do they make it sound so good? Like how does that process why does why does it sound so much better? when it's done on screen versus what I'm doing here. And so it taught me about ambiences. It taught me about like just building layers of sound. And so that's basically how I got into it. And I worked for him for the first year I was out here doing that. And then also working on that. It was a show called senior year. It was uh, following around uh, uh, a dozen high school students in their senior year. It was on PBS for like a season. Right on. So, yeah, and that's basically just what got me out here and got me started. And and then, um, you know, once you get out here uh, to Los Angeles, you kind of try to have to figure out what your balance is between what you want to do and then what you, what's, what's going to make you money. And so basically I uh, my friend who was the editor for Altman said, you know, you're, you're, you're an editor. You're already an editor because you've been doing it. You just happen to be assisting because you're getting paid for it. And he said, you're eventually going to be an editor and get paid for it again. And he said, that is your skill that you need to rely on. If you want, cause, cause I always wanted to make movies and like, like a lot of people do, you know, you either, you have to find something else to pay the bills and editing have to be a pretty good way to pay the bills. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and it's, and it's still like, it's still like fun. Like this, this job that I've had, I've, this is the longest job I've ever had. I, I'm basically a development editor for a big reality company. And what we do is, is we take, uh, ideas from from the producers or whoever, and turn them into like a teaser trailer to go pitch to a network. Do you it's, shoot content for that teaser trailer? Sometimes, sometimes it depends on what kind of series they're going for. I mean, uh, uh, it like sometimes it's a docu soap series, so they'll go out and shoot original content, and then we'll piece that together like, as if it were a mini show, like sure. a six minute show, and you kind of get to see how the characters interact and all the people and all that kind of stuff. But um, uh, with the everyday stuff that we do, you know, uh, it, what it taught me was just about 
like because I did. A, I also did a movie, and during the movie process, what I learned that I didn't know enough of is how to sell the movie and what and just just not to go out to distributor, not to do those things, but like the selling part of it. How does that work? How do you get people to get involved in not just buying the movie, but if you're fundraising or if you're doing this or doing that? So by doing my job now, I really see how to sell things to people in a visual way, like in an editing way. So, and it's cool because it's, it's not just me editing. It's I'm uh, because of the place I work with and I've worked there long enough and they, they, and they see that I'm not just an editor that I can produce. And, and it's like a, a give and take and it's really a, a good process. It's not just how to edit. You're working on how to package things. Right. And they're very understanding because, uh, 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 about my, like not only editing, but also like wanting to do other things. Like um, hopefully, I'm going to try to get another movie together next year. And so they're very understanding of it's a it's a it's a great job to be. I've, I've found a good place because they're very cool with me, like wanting to do other things as well as what what I do for them. Do you not want to name Endemol? Oh no no I can't. Oh, okay. no, we, uh, no I just hadn't gotten. I don't know. I, was, I work for a company called Endemol USA, which does. They're though they've done uh, they did they do Big Brother Fear Factor they did um, Deal or No Deal yep, Extreme, Extreme Makeover, Makeover Hell on Wheels Wipeout mm-hmm. these are these are big show, big network yeah. shows yeah, and you're a supervising development editor is that still your title uh, wearing many hats yeah basically yeah uh, it, 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 yeah it's it's a mini hat kind of job um, it's like it, it basically it started out as uh, I had uh, been working on as a as a freelancer on reality shows uh, develop like. As on Extreme Makeover Home Edition, just many many others, but um, <clears throat> at that point I was getting uh, I was starting uh, to date my wife, and and I knew that there was a family coming along and, and all that kind of stuff, and so um, I wanted to find something that I could do that could be full time and be a full time editor that I would actually enjoy and it's something that I'd be learning, and there's not really you know in the in the business of reality TV there's not really full-time editors there's freelance editors for you find a good show for eight months nine months a year and then you gotta keep hustling and hustling and hustling to find other jobs yeah i think that goes across the board for most of us freelancers yeah you know break down your staff that you have there because this is an area that i think most of like our audience knows what an editor and an assistant editor is but i think we get hazy on stuff like post-production supervisor um, I saw that you were credited as a post-production technical advisor, and I—you'll have to break that one down because even I don't know now, what, what that show means. was that on. I don't even remember. I, I don't remember. It was—it was on your IMDb, and uh, I went past it and went. It was like, what? what well, I mean, a lot advisor. of those, especially in the last five years, um, like I do do wear many many hats. When I first started there, I had uh, transitioned it as just like I had done a, 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 a sizzle, what we call them. Uh, way to sell these shows and it had sold they like literally it sold in three days and like um so when are you gonna start like because we're gonna fire this guy and hire you and i was like uh wait, wait i'm not sure about this and blah blah blah. so eventually we worked it out and i got the job and then when i i remember coming back in like here's your office and it was basically on the 11th floor of a corporate you know it wasn't even no post they had no idea how it worked there was a table probably like half that size and uh and there was like 15 external drives, two monitors, and, and a Mac Pro. And a and laptop. It. <laughs> yeah, like, it was close. It was, it was an older Mac Pro. It was like, it was G4. pretty bad. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so, um, and so I, I over over time, we kind of finally, eventually, I said, look, if you're going to hire me, we're going to buy new stuff. We're going to do it the right way. We have storage because there's going to be a lot of stuff. And eventually, they hired more staff. And now we have seven Avids. Uh, an ISIS, which is the um, basically the 
the network for an Avid. And then we also have an 80 terabyte XSAN, which does all of our storage of all of our shows and stuff like that. And we have, um, I have, it's me and another editor. And then we just finally got an assistant last year. And then sometimes we hire freelance, but we mostly, those, that's mostly the staff. And it's different than most, like, cause, you know, our competition for Endemol is places like Fremantle and, and ITV, which used to be Granada. And those places, you know, those are the people who think big and think, well, we need to hire people on staff at all times to do our, to develop our ideas. Because now it's all, especially since I've been there, it's all about the tape. When they go into the network, network wants to see tape. They don't want to, they want to see the tape and then they want to talk about it. And that's. And just, I hear you better hook them in the first 15 seconds. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, you know, I say this and I'll probably get in trouble for it, but, you know, it's, I always compare like, network people when you go into pitch or it's like sixth graders you kind of just got to pitch to them and make sure it's very simple and easy to understand and that they get everything and then they don't ask the wrong questions you want them to ask questions but not the wrong ones like what's the show about like no no, no that's not a good one so you kind of have to hook them you sh- depending on what you're doing it's like you know two to three minutes for like game show type things and then like you can do longer for like docuseries which are more like about people and developing characters and developing stories you can do up to six minutes so so i mean it's it's definitely a process but a lot of other places don't employ people full-time and what they do is is they'll be like oh we're developing a show let's grab this guy from from this this show over here who's on who's we're paying anyway to cut it and it'll be pretty good and then we'll just go take it in Right, and so I got lucky in that they figured out that it's nice to have people on staff to really make these things shine. Because now, when people when we go into a pitch, there's an expectation of quality, which is very nice. It's nice to be a part of, and it's nice to be known for that. And there's they, they always compliment, like like sometimes it's like it may not be right for them that show, but they go, "We really like the tape. We're not ready for the show right now, but we really like that tape. That's good." I've heard two editors, certain editors for in-house operations referred to as uh, finishing editors. Is this something that's going to use? And these guys are the ones that are going through, uh, putting in the right graphics, timing it out, getting the right music, uh, you know, doing all the, you know, light visual effects, things like that, things that make it happen and and just give it that. uh, Is that something that you, you either refer to yourself as or uh, that you know, like that you, a term you use on a regular basis? Well, I mean, it's like we don't I, don't, I don't know the term itself. I know, I mean, I've been a finishing editor and I've done all those things. But, you know, for us, it's just like it's part of what we do, what is expected of us. And it's like when I first started, I had to learn After Effects. I had no idea. I was like, what is this, another editing program? Oh, okay, I get it. But Keyframes. Key yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. Well, you knew what keyframes were, but they sure work much better in After Effects. Yeah, definitely. That, that um, was where I first learned keyframes oh, yeah. After Effects because it's all like, you know, what's happening here? What's happening here? You know, what's happening here? Where's the movement start, stop? And and everything in between is set by the computer. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I mean, it's it's definitely been a, a learning curve for me with After Effects. But, uh, but I mean, it, it's definitely being a, a jack of all trades, which fits me very well. Some other people, might be, um, sometimes the other editors, like, you know, editors can be very, like, see, like, see, and it's, 
like see things a certain way and they have to have them th- that way. They can't like do graphics and can't do this. And we've had a lot of people come through for freelance work, just be like, ah, this is not me, you know? And, and it's basically, you got it. You got to step up. You have to be able to know how to do graphics. You have to do, um, you have to be able to finish it, to clean up the audio, to make it look, to really shine. And it's, it's really, I've gotten really good at it now because I've been doing it for so long, but, Tell us your secrets. <laughs> I mean, it, it's just experience, you know. It's just it's just seeing those things and how to, you know. It's really all about sound and editing good sound effects and layering your sound and and making things like, especially on the like the the sizzle tapes. Like, if there's if, if the sound doesn't work like on the actual in the video, pull it out and use something else if you can, like to help sell it better. Because it's all about. Because it's like. You can sit there and go, oh, I just don't have that. But that's not an excuse. I mean, you have to show it to people and you have to sell it. And this is what you have. This is, you don't have anything else. You can go try to find stuff. And sometimes you can find better stuff. Because it's all, you know, a lot of times it's pulled from YouTube. It's pulled from Vimeo. It's pulled from DVDs. You know, it's pulled from wherever. And it's all these formats and all these things. And they all, they all are different. And so, and they all have different sound. And you just have to make it sing. You don't have, you can't make excuses for why it doesn't work. So. We talk a lot about um, the changing technology, mostly for the camera department. Lights really haven't changed that much. You know, grip equipment hasn't changed in 80 years. Makeup, wardrobe, those things really don't change. But camera, every two, three years, is a brand new camera in front of people, brand new formats. It's got to be the same uh, on the editing side. You know, 20 years ago when you started, there was the, a film contingent and there was the video contingent. It was probably half inch and three quarter inch. Mm-hmm. Um, I would think there wouldn't have been any beta by you know by, uh, by the '90s, but no, no, uh, it was a little, like little at home maybe with VHS. Yeah. Well, d- uh, didn't Beta have a whole the whole line of uh, a Betamax SP? And well, yeah, there was beta I mean, there was Beta Professional for a while from I don't know probably for me from the early '90s to to the late '90s even still when I when I left Can- I was re- I grew up in Kansas and we that was the technology we used and I remember when they got all the new Beta Beta Cam decks in. Uh, and every, we were so happy because it was such a good technology. But you know, it worked at the time. But you know, it's it's just basically gone from linear to nonlinear, and being you know on computers. And the it's now it's on computers. It's the resolution, and, and it's also the uh, the space. You know, because I remember when I was editing my uh, student film, I was on a nine. I was on the big drive, and it was a nine gig drive. And we were editing it. I don't even remember what resolution, but nine yeah, gigs. I know. Wow. I know it's so big. And now you probably get eight hundred gig of one episode or something of like five cameras at two uh, K uh, resolution. Okay. Yeah. Well, all of our stuff is you know when we do the the shows now, you know they they still the reality like the world of how we do uh, the shows in the like in the uh, offline department because you know. Um, in, in my world, there's offline and online in reality TV, especially because there's a lot of times so many cameras. There's so many, something like Wipeout is one of our shows. And there's like, I think, 15 cameras sometimes, just like layers of cameras. And what do they shoot on? They shoot on uh, XD cam. I forget what cameras they shoot on, some Sony XD cam format. Um, but it's all, it's all the, the good thing about the XD cam format is it's a, for especially for networks and, and for, for us, is that it's a, Dual format where it's linear. I mean, it's um, it's um, it's tapeless and tape because you have a physical. When you cut on XD cam, you have a tape, and then you can also the decks can read it as footage, and so you don't have to treat it like tape. So you can you can hand them because networks expect hard uh, like 
original content. So they want the raw footage when it's all done. So they have that. Well, this is where my question was leading. Like in the yeah. early 2000s, you burn stuff onto a CD. Around 2010, you're burning stuff onto a DVD. Right. Now you can probably put a show on a thumb drive because they've gotten big enough. Yeah. Like what format are you handing you know, to a producer to go take it to a place? Uh, well, I assume you're not putting it on a VHS tape. No, no. Uh, it just depends. I mean, a lot of times they want hard like tape. Like if it's a lot of times it's HD Chem SR. Um, or it's drives. It just depends on what network, because every network's different. Like mm. a lot, of, like even some of the networks still deliver in 720, which is crazy to me. It's like we have all this technology of 4K and all these things, you know, for these for these shows, and they still want like 720 59.94, which is like video. It's like mm. not to video. mention you might be working with a foreign company that has uh, a, a different uh, frame rate and and different. Uh, well, see, and, and that's not even for deliverables. I mean, basically for that kind of stuff, it's like. Well, this is how the network original network wanted, so that's what we deliver in. And then if and then if we sell it somewhere else, then we just wait have to wait on whatever format and then we do it at that time. So it's kind of you know, reality TV, they're still I think in that process are still trying to figure out things because we sell the we actually sell the formats in reality TV more than um, than the actual like reruns of shows. And so basically you're selling like the idea, like an IP basically of the idea. So we'll say, so if we do original show. They're doing um, Wipeout in England. They're doing yeah, Wipeout in New Zealand. Right. And just re- they're shooting a whole new thing, yeah. but they're copying yeah. And then vice the versa mechanism. too because like uh, Hell on Wheels is a good – well, uh, we did another one called um, – Low Winter Sun that was on for a season on AMC that was our show too and it was based on a European uh, format I think it was from Denmark or no it was from Ireland or Scotland and it was a three hour miniseries starring Mark Strong and they reformatted it and redid it for the American audience but we, we it was from another company of ours called Tiger Aspect Media that's an English company and but we licensed it because we own it too, so we licensed it for ourselves in America, and then we pitched it to networks and sold it that way. And Big Brother isn't an original show here; it was a British show, right? That yeah, came it was, here. Yeah, it was a British show that we partnered with. That was one of that was the first thing that kind of got into mall really gave us legs. And then Fear Factor was all, was an English format. I was going to yeah. say uh, American Ninja Warrior isn't that one of the shows? Uh, no, that's that's a. Uh, well, that was a Japanese thing, wasn't it? Yeah, it was definitely it started yeah. somewhere else. Yeah. yeah, no, no, it's like a lot of shows. That if you if you look at a lot of our mainstream shows right now, are, are based on other formats. It's nice for something like what they were always really happy with was Extreme Makeover uh, Home Edition because it was an original format that they figured out how to during the course of the show they figured out how to get the contractors to pay for the houses and they figured out how to get all like they went and basically. Uh, to like you know plumbing companies and wood companies and all these places and got them to give us give the show um, all the materials. So that's a clearances product placement yep. kind of vibe. Yeah, yeah. And so they basically were. It was we owned the format. We got everything paid for, and so everything. And then and then it's one of those shows that became that you're able to put on reruns. At one point, it was the highest rated show on CMT for like years after the show had gone off the air. So it was like. Those are the kind of shows that they look to, 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 to be able to do and sell because you can reformat them and do them in reruns and stuff. Well, let's talk about Extreme Makeover because yeah. you did that uh, it's like 75 episodes. So that, that had to represent like five, six seasons? Or? Uh, it was three seasons and that was 75. Oh, they did like 24 episode well, seasons? Uh, yeah, kind of. Uh, I worked on the pilot and I, I was originally called Space Invaders and I was an assistant editor slash 
junior editor. And then uh, I saw it go from, you know, a pilot, which was crazy to see. Like, it, we when we handed it into ABC, they were basically, uh, we sold it off of three, like, three acts. It's a seven-act show, and they only we only had three done, but they wanted to see it. They, they saw it and loved it so much, they just said, okay, we'll do ten episodes. So they did ten, they got through the first four, and they did so well that they said, okay, we're going to do 20, we'll do a full season. I think so, they ended up doing. I forget how many in the first season, but so it went from there. And then second season is when it got really crazy because they were not only we were doing uh, two hour shows on Sunday, but we were also doing a one hour show on Monday. So at one point, it was the craziest, biggest staff. The, the supervising producer didn't believe in night editors because he didn't think that they that a night editor would be as good quality as the day editor. So at one point, we had twenty seven day editors, which was. Do you realize uh, that these guys sometimes find themselves in dark rooms for long periods of time? (laughs) They'll probably do just fine. It was one of those things that that it was just his choice, and we had basically ABC was like, here's here's a check, do whatever. And so there was 27 of us, and and I remember at one point we were doing so many hours of television. I was doing like on my own probably like you know an entire act, which is like eight minutes, plus another act of another show. So I was cutting eight minutes of – television with notes like they're actually probably 16 minutes of television a week sometimes and it was the greatest thing that i always say about that show for me is i remember being on for i think my record was 58 days straight mm. just non-stop working and but it was the boot camp of editing because it was literally like so much footage that you're like they're like here you got to get it and you run with it and you it, the footage shows up i mean you're each camera is easily shooting 10 tapes a day yeah Easily, yeah. Right, well, before we get to that, because I want to break down a little bit of what you say, because I we I have to we have to assume that people listening are understand a lot of these terms, but yeah. aren't hip to all of them. So when you say a seven act, what I assume that means is they're following the same format every week. Mm-hmm. The first act is they're introducing themselves to the family, and the second act is identifying what might be wrong with the house, and the third maybe was shopping for the stuff that they can yeah. use that week, and the fourth is the beginning of assembly and whatever it is. Seven it's is the reveal, yeah. you mean, know, kind of a thing. We did a seven act until I think I think the fourth season they started doing a six act structure, and they just changed. It was just network. Just changed it, but basically the seven act structure was the first act, like you said, was there was a long act. It was usually like ten to twelve minutes, and it was we you know move that or uh, uh, hello blah 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 family, and we got to hear about what their issue is, then why they needed a house, and then we go meet them and hear their story, and then the the next the the second act was was basically uh, see them on vacation for a beat, and then you got to uh, see us destroy the house, and it was always whatever. Right, they got to send the family yeah. away to wreck their house. Yeah. So you say, okay, all right. A quick, yeah. a quick interjectory question: In yep. a seven act, are there six commercial breaks? Right, there's one. Two, there's so eight. each act. So is, that follows the commercial break structure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So when they went to six, they didn't get rid of a commercial break. No, I think they just combined it until. Matter of fact, they added a commercial break. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> Probably. Or, or they may have done it differently. I mean, they they had their. I mean, that was a big money maker for ABC for a long time. So let's talk about what comes in. Like you, you were like the can of worms you were about to open was so. There's like ten cameras on set, so they're producing a, you know a ton of material over twelve, fifteen hours of, of construction each day. Right. What comes into the office? Just a, a pile of hard drives, the tapes. Oh, from well, the back thing? then it was. I mean, up until I mean, even I think all the way through because they did nine seasons, it was always tape. At first, it was uh, it was digi beta, and then they eventually switched to XD cams. 
Uh, and it was just it was just tons and tons of tapes. I mean, for the first two seasons, they wouldn't send they wouldn't send the tapes through the mail because there were two. Uh, by the second season, they had two teams running an A B and a, and a B team doing houses, so that we could do the amount of houses that we needed to do a season. So they had two separate things coming in. So we had that's why we had such a big staff. I mean, I think we had four or five assistant editors, and so it was like usually a staff. Usually a show that big has maybe at the most 12 editors and we had double that. And then we had like, we probably had double of everything just because the amount of what we were doing and, and still trying to figure out second season. It was, it was really, it was really about because they were throwing everything at us and ABC was like, here's a check. We can do whatever we wanted. And so we were just trying to figure out the show. And then by third season we had it figured out. And then, and then all of us decided to move on to other things. I was going to do my movie and, and, and then a bunch of people were going on to do their things. And so, like it all changed, like the show original showrunner creator left and all that kind of stuff. But um, do you find well, that there's a lot of turnover on in reality shows? Or yeah, do people it just depends. Typically, stick. It just yeah, it just depends. I mean, every show is different. Um, usually, if you find it like if I was, it was a that was a weird situation for me because I was lucky enough that my friend was there. Was, there was a show. There was a, a show creator who's a guy named Tom Foreman who runs um, uh, Relativity Real now. And uh, a guy named Mike Malloy, and they both actually came from CBS News out in uh, New York. They um, do you remember the Robert De Niro produced uh, documentary on 9/11? Yes. Um, that the two Swedish guys were shooting and right. they had to catch all that footage. The two sh- with, with the firefighters. Yeah, with the firefighters. Yeah. Well, basically CBS. The, what really happened on that was that CBS got a hold of footage, and then they said, and then they basically they put Tom and Mike and uh, in charge of creating a show, like a two-hour movie for that, and so basically he was the he was the producer editor, and then and then Tom was the was the producer on it, and so he did that, and they won Emmys for that, and then they decided they wanted to go into very ambitious and do their own thing, and so they came out to L.A. and they actually I actually worked on some other shows with them before uh, Extreme Hit, and so oh, I'm sorry, what was the where were we going with that? The question. Um, <laughs> I don't know. We got so weird. It's, it's, we snowballed there. I, know. I we was talking I about the input of material. Yeah, I was asking yeah. what format stuff came into the office right. from. My follow-up question was right. going to be, so you've got your staff of 27 people. Yeah. You've got uh, an A show and a B show being edited simultaneously. Yeah. You've got 10 cameras per unit, essentially. Right. Um, are the, is the assistant editor doing like a lot of the logging? Are they organizing it into the sections for the editor to then come along? Well, we, also, and- we also had a staff of six loggers as well. So on that show, it just depends like because it's all reality-based and there's so much stuff going on that they're in there. They have pretty good field notes. They say they'd go through and they'd have loggers go through the actual material and, and then basically you'd have the assistants just doing all the technical work. Assistants on that show basically like brought it in. They they made sure it was all organized correctly. It was all grouped. It was, all the sound was there because there was so much of it. They make sure it was all correct, and the loggers got a hold of it, and then they logged everything. And then from based on field notes and recommendations from the field producers, as well as the showrunner who was in the field, the supervising producer would basically go down on the beats, watch, uh, hear about it, and he would watch the ones that he'd want to watch. But there was so much going on that half the time it was just like. He'd know which editor he'd want to give it to and basically say, see if this works. 
and throw it to me or what, whoever else was who was available. And uh, and then from that point, you just start based on the field notes and based on those notes, and then just watching the footage because what we started doing and what a lot of people do now is is instead of you know you, you do a whole you want to you want to try to have editors do a whole act if you can because then it keeps the fluid the fluidity of everything together. But each act is broken out into pods, so they're like beats, like like on in the middle acts of the show, you'd you'd have a lot of pods, which are beats basically about uh, uh, the room and how the room is going or how this is going or they'd have a funny little offshoot of Ty doing something stupid or like Paul doing something silly or whatever these, it was. These beats are produced by the field producers. Yeah, so they say, oh, this would be a great thing. Let's fill three minutes with this. Yeah. yeah. And so they go shoot it and then you basically you're handed the raw footage and you say, go through it, make it work. And it may not work. You, you know, After a while, you knew halfway through if it was going to be a waste of time or not. And what's your turnaround time on this? I assume with that kind of show, let's hypothetically, and now shows can kind of start up and end whenever they want, but let's say uh, if they start shooting in June and your first show is going to be after Labor Day. So, yeah, there, there was a three-month cushion, and then as the year starts going, that the, the distance between when you're getting your footage and editing it and when the show is going to be on starts shrinking. So by the time you get around to February... You know, you might get footage in January that's now got to be done in you know three weeks or whatever. So, is is it sort of an accordion of of what your your time is to deal with the episodes? Yeah, I mean, they were it was pretty much managed by like the producer, the supervising producer, and the executive producers on that show. And so he would just hand it off and say, and he would know when he basically need a first cut. So if you're doing an act, you got uh, you got like a week, ten days. But if you're doing a pod, you had like three or four days, and that was it. And then you just have to hand it in to move on to the next one. And you, and as an editor, you know it's hard. Which what I learned on that show was being able to move from beat to beat to beat just without thinking about it. Just because there was there was sometimes where you're just like, well, I mean, you, you had so much coming at you and so many things going on that it was just you, you just had to move. You had to go and you had to stay with it and. There was there was no excuses. It was like, oh well, I I need to do this, or I I'm, I'm not this kind of editor. I'm not. It didn't matter. It's like you either you just went on your instincts and and just started running with it. And that was it. And that's a one hour show. Well, some of them were two. There was a lot. That's of a two hour show, six, but it, but it could happen. Two. Whether it happened six months ago wouldn't be a factor. What I'm leading to is a show like Big Brother uh, must have a massive staff where they're trying to put out three. I guess three hours a week right. of material, but their their lead time is like forty eight hours. Right. Like they, I, um, I, what do they? Have? They have a Wednesday, a Thursday, and a Sunday show. So I would guess like Friday, Saturday is what you have to produce the Sunday show right. because it's happening in real time in Burbank. Well, they have people on staff. I mean, I haven't, I haven't, I didn't work on that show, but I know from people who have and just hearing all the stories from it because it's been going for so long is that with that show, it's it's more run like a news show than it is more than a reality-based show because it is running all the time. The The cameras are running all the time. The drives are always recording all the time. So it's it's more like up-to-the-date up to the moment news. Oh, that beat in there. You know, it's kind of cutting, you know, it's, it's already basically coming in as like these streaming cameras and you just got to cut between the cameras and, and that's the beat for that show. And so it's always kind of, it's always kind of going and it's kind of like a new show more than it is reality. And I think uh, when we, you and I had discussed it once uh, before the show, and I think you were also telling me that one of the most important things is while they're recording, 
there's some kind of AP or something that's sitting there and saying, well, at 135, some, this interesting thing happened, yeah. which cuts down a lot of the nonsense for the editors. Well, all right, let's go, let's go right to 135 right. and look at the 20 cameras. And, you know, you're getting these yeah. four cameras were in play for that. They have, um, it they must have be more a massive a, logistical operation. Yeah, I mean they have it down to a science now, and they've done it for so long, and they just know how it works that that it's really not an issue anymore. But like basically, it's just like they have they don't really have loggers; they have watchers who basically sit around and just just say at this at this at this happened that this happened that this happened, and then they just you know just like a a news linear like a line ed, like a line editor just cut it together and move on to the next thing. In in my experience, um, what I see in my limited amount of uh, reality television experience, they have, uh, I think, you know, however many cameras there are. Okay, so let's say you have three live operators that are con- constantly running around, grabbing shots, going to the different locations, following right. whoever around, you know, getting these. And then you may have other cameras. So, right. uh, you know, so let's say you have five cameras worth of data that are, that are all sunk together so that all the time code matches. Right. But in every location, there's always a room, a dark room somewhere where the director is on a walkie mm-hmm. or some kind of intercom with a script supervisor, a line producer, a showrunner, any any of the, any combination of two to five of these people or however many they would go right. that, that have, that are all watching with time code taking these notes right. so that everything uh, can be easily found because you are receiving so much of this. Now you get all of this material from from the field. It all comes in, and uh, if, did I hear correctly that it goes first goes to the assistant editor before mm-hmm. it goes to the logger? Mm-hmm. So, uh, but is the assistant editor maybe higher on the food chain, or how does that work? Uh, yeah, I mean for the most part, because they are. Yeah, I would say so because they have they definitely have earned the right to have. They're smarter, even smarter than me now because I haven't been an assistant for years and the technology is there that they have learned and, and the way a good assistant editor is hard to find because there are they, – they have a certain way of doing things now because of how Avid works that they do it. And so having that technology and that intelligence to do those things – Put you up higher, you know, being having those skills, you know, a logger, and I'm not saying anything against logger, but it is the entry level job that you get because you start seeing how the footage works. I mean, I did it. I logged like on that first show. I was logging. I probably ended up logging like 2,500, 300,000 hours of footage over an eight month period, and it was like I hated every second of it. But it sure taught me about a lot about stuff about sure. this process. Meanwhile, the assistant editor is going through and uh, assigning file names to each of the clips. Uh, Maybe well, possibly ingesting the footage you know, that's coming I think off the tape. What you shot. do is you you start out the assistant editor first before even for the editors because then they get a head a head start on it. So you bring in the you you have them start first. They start the footage, and then once they have the footage, then the logger comes in or maybe it's an AP which is an associate producer who's just a little bit it's basically a logger with producer experience and they start going through the footage and then as they're going through the footage the assistant's going through next week's stuff so you're you're, you're dominoing it so that you you are ahead of the game and hopefully you get off far enough ahead that you don't at one point, if there's an issue or something, you don't fall behind because that definitely can happen. The loggers or the AP auditors are uh, AP loggers, AP slash R, uh, AP slash loggers yes. um, are going through setting marks at that point? Uh, they do marks or they type, you can use, there's different types of software that you can use that you just hit the endpoint and it shows you the time code and then you type in like a brief summary of stuff. It just depends on what yeah. the producer, every show's different, every producer's different. Every way you do it, you know, it's like they've, they the producer or the showrunner or the or the um uh the the segment producer or whoever has grown up doing something a certain way so they set up 
their their way they organize it, and then you adapt to that because it's all in the same family of how you do stuff, but everything's a little bit different. I guess the one thing that hasn't been mentioned on this side of the process is where does the director step back in and 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 readvise because he's usually busy doing other stuff. Director is basically not involved in the post process at all for reality television. For is reality that television. mostly across I've the never, board? I've never seen a director come to a post, and that's just. I mean, the director is basically on, and I, I'm a director as well, uh, not for reality, but for, for, for scripted. But uh, I hate to say this, but in reality TV, a director is basically a, a choreographer, you know, a, a staging, a person who stages, who sets up things, who helps drive the story, drive the story, and kind of set up like blocking and helps a, a showrunner. A lot of times, a good showrunner doesn't even use a director. Because a good showrunner will know how to want how they want to set up the scene. I was about to say the showrunner absorbs a lot of what we think of as a director's mm-hmm. responsibilities, really? right? Yeah, oh, it's totally. sort of a combination of producer and director. Yeah. Um, but they're they're so they're involved. In, my next problem, my, my next question was going to be: so you've edited that show, yeah. you've got forty two minutes of whatever it is. Is it the showrunner that comes in with notes? Is the production company come in with notes? Like who uh, are you? Yeah, oh, notes process. Um, it depends on the showrunner. Like my favorite showrunner is a guy named Greg Johnston, who uh, who was working at ML. Now he's over Fifty One Minds, but he did uh, the Osbournes. He did all those great shows back in the uh, um, MTV heyday when they had all those great shows. Those those like half hour you know docudramas with the stars. That's him, and he's he's been around doing it for a long time. And and he he and I like he, he and I get along really well, and we're good friends as well. But also we work we sit in the same room for the whole time. And we develop, like in the development side, we develop and let it go. But we've also done shows together, and it's basically just him taking it, and then he, and then once we're done with that cut, we send to the network. The network comes back, and he, he's been doing it long enough, and they, the networks trust him enough to where that he can push back and forth, and he can do things that, um, that a lot of people can't because he's been doing it long enough that they trust him and, and that, that we, you know, kind of compromise. They compromise and we compromise on whatever notes are going on to make it the best show possible. So, so it goes back and forth and, you know, it just depends on in it. They, you know, when you do a deal with the network, you actually have in the contract how many notes passes you get and everyone's different and everybody does it different. Uh, and then you go through that process and once that's done, it's, you know, you finish it and send it on its way. Contractually, what's an average number? Well, there's a new thing that they've been doing lately where you do you probably do four passes, four to six passes. Like you have like a rough cut, rough cut two, and you excuse me, you have line cut and you have line cut two. Or I mean, uh, um, not line cut, um, rough cut one, rough cut two, and then you have fine cut one, and fine cut two, and then you have like they usually have one to two more passes when it gets towards the end. But you know. There's this new thing that networks like to do now, where they basically they can def- they will define what the cu- what if it's a cut. So if you send rough cut two, they're like, we don't consider that a cut. We got to do it again. And Interesting. So, and so okay. they'll just change it, you know. And that's just kind of the rule of the game now, because because what they figured out is is because we're in the nonlinear world, and this is it's funny because we're talking about this stuff of being an editor and doing the world of editing, is that you, it was forever a certain type of people's game to where post-production no one understood. They just, oh, okay, well, we can put this over here and then we make the show and then we tell them what to do and then they can do most of it, sometimes not, whatever. But now they're smarter and they're like, no, you're going to do what we will do because you can do it now. 
You right. know, you, you I can show you how to do it myself. Look, I got an avid right here. Yeah, basically. Yeah. Yeah. So they've gotten smarter and they, they get what they want. And why that might be important, like what I hear for that is, uh, you know, you turn in a cut, but what I hear is that took three days times four people and their salaries, you know, towards that. And there's only seven days in a week. And on Monday, we've got to start a new thing. So um, the amount of back and forth, uh, you know, is, is partially an economic thing, to, especially to the production company, you know, because if there were eight rounds of notes, yeah. that represents X amount uh, of manpower time, yeah. and, you know, and dollars uh, going into that. So I would, I, I can understand the conflict there for, well, there's four rounds of notes. So we got to get it all, you know. Well, the thing is, is like at the same time, because the network understand has a better understanding now, they know that they, and because shows, it's harder to sell shows now because, you know, five years, not even five years ago, like three years ago, you, you, now you're selling twice as many to, to, to do the same amount of money you were doing before. So you have to hustle and do more shows now. And they know that. And so they will push you to do what they want more. So it's like you're in that notes process. You know, you only have, they, you know, they know they only have a certain amount of notes passes. Well, they want, they want these things. So they say, we want that. And they put their foot down. That's it. So it comes down to the production company, whoever it is, not paying overtime, saying, you got to stay Friday, Saturday, and Sunday to do those notes. And if not, we'll, we'll use this other guy. So it really comes down to like, you know, a much smarter uh, uh, network. <laughs> Uh, you worked on on some other shows. I saw yeah. Nashville and Super Nanny and Make Me a Supermodel. Any uh, interesting stories that popped up during? Uh, I mean, you know, it's just in you know that I look. I always look back on on those reality years because I just because um, uh, basically when I was doing, I'll, I'll get back to that. Uh, I don't really have any interesting stories. I just remember like it was always. It taught me a lot about being an editor about having confidence going from show to show to show uh, because you just had to eventually trust. Like you got the job, you're like, yeah, I got a job. And then you just trust yourself and say, whatever they throw at me, I can do. Because Nashville, beyond anything else, was a different – it was more of a – it was kind of like a scripted show because they didn't do interviews. And so you had to do everything in scene. So you had to figure out that. you know. And I had just gotten off – I had just finished uh, – at that point, we had finished uh, the first – the, the main cut of the, my film that I had done. And, and so at that point I was much, very, very much into scripted because it was a, it was a dramatic feature. And, um, at that point I was, it was a very good mesh for me. And so I was like very excited to be on that show. And then like I had been on there for a month and then like they're, they're like, well, we really love you and we want you to stay on for another six months. I'm like, okay, great. And the next day, like, yeah, the network just called, they canceled the show. <laughs> that was it. So I was like, oh, but I had fun and that was a good show. But it was nice he asked me to be on for the next six months. But it was a, it was a, it was a good experience. But yeah, I mean, um, that that time was crazy because I was transitioning back into reality TV. But you know, a lot of people talk down about reality TV and talk talk bad about um, it in general and being like, you know, the 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 kind of thing that's destroying destroying society. And there are a lot of shows that I simply will not watch that are that but for me none that endemol makes they make only quality broadcast material we've, i've actually been lucky with the stuff that we've done there's uh, everything that, that i've worked on and been a part of and i'm not just saying that because i work for them i mean I, i've been very lucky and knowing that the shows that we have been able to do top 
good quality shows that aren't lowest common denominator, that don't dig down just for drama's sake, and I'm, I'm very proud of that. But um, My wife loves Wipeout. Tell the Wipeout to okay. the- <laughs> today's, today's episode of Cinematic Community is sponsored by Endemol Productions. <laughs> and Wipeout. Um, but, uh, you know, everybody gives them a bad rap, uh, the, the whole reality world a bad rap, but I wouldn't be the editor that I am be- without it because it just really taught me about, like, it just got my skills down. Like, it, like there's nothing you can throw at me now that I cannot do. So that's it for this week's episode, part one of a two-part series with Dan McMillan, post-production supervisor. Come on back next week for part two. Uh, we'll have it up on the site where you can find it at www.cinematiccommunitycast.com. Or if you want to go check us out on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher, we're available there too. I'm just going to go to Facebook and Twitter and be done with it. Yeah, don't forget Instagram. Gotta check us out, Cinematic Community, on all of those spots. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Google+. You can find us there. Until then, we'll see you next week on Cinematic Community. Bye.